Well, it is a new year. And my guess is that all of us have some sense of resolution right now. Now, you may not be the kind of person who creates like an official New Year's resolution and posts it on the internet or anything like that. But my sense is all of us have at least something, at least one thing that we'd love to see change, that we'd love to redirect now that the year has changed. And so for me, you know, I want to eat better. I want to start waking up earlier. Uh, so that I can get into my Bible first thing in the morning and do that with consistency. I want to spend less time looking at screens and more time engaging with people face-to-face. Those are some of my goals, some of my, in a sense, resolutions. And those, I think, are good goals, and I think they're attainable. I'm not reaching for the moon entirely on those things, but there's a problem for me. Even with small goals like that, there's a problem. Uh, And I think it's probably true for you, too. I have been living in certain patterns of choices, of thoughts, of behaviors for quite a while now. And those patterns are hard to break, okay? That when when a new year comes, it's not like we can just reverse course and all of a sudden everything that I've been doing over the long haul just becomes magically erased. I've been eating poorly since May. And so when New Year's Day rolls around, I eat a salad and a cup of yogurt. And in my mind, that's going to somehow reverse all the last eight months of chocolate chip cookies. And it just doesn't work that way. And see, that's why I think um, most resolutions that people make fail. It's not because our intentions are bad. It's not because our goals are necessarily wrong. But the patterns of our choices are incredibly hard to break. Much harder than we think. And the outcomes of our choices are impossible to undo, okay? The outcome of my eating habits the last eight months, you can't undo that. It can't, if I feel like a walking marshmallow, it's because the last eight months I've earned that. And it's, if you think about it like this, if I, if I have been planting certain kinds of seeds into my life, now I'm reaping a harvest of what I've planted. And it may not be a harvest that I'm happy with, but that's what I've earned, in a sense, for myself. That's what I get. Now, the thing I'm talking about, we all intuitively agree with this. I think basically the whole world, at least nod our heads, that this is generally true, this principle of sowing and reaping, or of cause and effect. And and what we're going to call it today, for the sake of our conversation, we're going to call it not a general... Uh, universal law, although I think it is, but we're going to call it a spiritual law because it is uh, far more importantly, it's a spiritual law of the harvest. The spiritual law of sowing and reaping. It's what Clint just read for us from Galatians chapter 6. What you sow, you eventually reap. And I don't want to overinflate this to say it quite this way, but I I, I believe it. I think it's true that if we understand and apply this spiritual law, the law of sowing and reaping, your life will dramatically change in 2018. I don't want to sound like an infomercial, okay? But I I believe that the Bible is clear on this, that if we both understand and then apply what the Apostle Paul tells us here today, this calendar year for you will be unlike anything else you've ever experienced, okay? That's not why we do it, not for our own benefit, but it's simply true. And so I want us to see, uh, we're just going to go line by line through what Paul tells us here, and we're going to see the principle at work and why it's so important to us in the day-to-day life of following Jesus. Look at Galatians 6, verse 7. Paul, uh, I had Clint read 6 through 10, I think, where Paul says, uh, let him who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches, which is a command to uh, support your pastor and elder. Um, But that's not so much the point today. 
Um, here's why it's important. Here's the bigger context. Verse 7. Do not be deceived, Paul says. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, what Paul's telling us did not originate with him. If you're familiar with your Bible, you see it all over the Scriptures, this spiritual law. In fact, uh, the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters in Proverbs, full of godly wisdom for life, most of, in my perception, most of the book of Proverbs is established on this very law right here. I picked out four Proverbs at random, just to show you what I mean. These, I just randomly found these, four different Proverbs. The wages of the righteous is life, but the income of the wicked is punishment. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. You reap what you sow. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. He who sows iniquity will reap vanity. You see the principle at work right there? You reap what you sow. And so simply put, our thoughts, our choices, our words, our actions today will have a direct effect on our life tomorrow. Everything we think, say, and do today is going to have an effect on tomorrow. Now, a lot of people refer to this as karma. Karma is not a real thing, okay? It, basically, what people mean when they say karma is they're rooting this reality in some greater reality, okay? What we know to be true is this. It's actually based in a God who is committed to doing what is just and right. God always does what is just and right. He's committed to that on a grand and eternal scale. And that's why if you go back into verse 7, Paul gives us a very stern warning here. He's not just encouraging us to do more good than bad. Look at what he says, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, don't be fooled into thinking you can make a fool out of God. It's in my heart, and I think it's in every human heart, to think that I can, I can make sinful choices, I can sow sinful things, and yet not have to reap the consequences. Somehow I can make this choice today and it's not going to come back and bite me tomorrow. If I'm smart enough, if I'm crafty enough, if, if I could be uh, rich enough, if I'm lucky enough, then I'm going to skate. I'm not going to have to reap what I sow. But what Paul says here is this, don't deceive yourself. Nobody makes a fool out of God. Sooner or later, one way or another, God always gets the last word on these things. He always does. A.W. Tozer said it this way, the snare lies in choosing the pleasure of sowing with the secret hope that in some way we can escape the sorrows of the reaping. But never since the beginning of the world has it been possible to separate the one from the other. We all think that I can have the pleasure of sowing something that is not of God and somehow I can escape the consequences, but that has never, ever, ever been the case and it never will be. Uh, don't turn to Psalm 73, but make a little mental note to read Psalm 73 this week. It's written by a man named Asaph who is very disillusioned because he is a godly man, a righteous man, and yet he's looking around at the outside world and he is disturbed by godless people who seem to be getting away with their wickedness. He's looking around and all these people who are mocking God are happy and successful and they seem to have pain-free 
lives. And this man of God begins to wonder if all of his righteousness has been in vain. Why do I bother, he says. That's really what the psalm says. But then the psalm hinges when he enters into the sanctuary of God and he says, and I perceived their end, that the wicked are swept away by God and that they perish apart from God's goodness. And so what Asaph discovers in Psalm 73 is, while they are not seemingly paying any consequences today, God gets the last word. Their day is coming. And it reaffirms his desire to live for God. He knows it's not in vain. He knows that nobody truly skates in the end. You reap what you sow. Now, I want us to tighten our focus by looking at verse 8. Okay, So we're, we're going to talk about less of a general rule for life. And, and we need to recognize in verse 8 that Paul is talking to Christians here. He's not speaking only generally. He's talking to people who have received the Lord Jesus by faith. And so what, what we're getting in Galatians 6 is not a moralistic command. That if you will do more good than bad in your life, then you can earn your way into heaven. I hope you know that's not the case. That's not what he's telling us here. No, he's talking to people who know that we're not good enough. We know that we can't earn our way into God's grace and favor. And so we have trusted Jesus Christ to be rescued from our sin and our spiritual death. And now we've been given God's spirit to indwell us. We've been forgiven of our sins, and therefore we're not at risk of losing God's grace and love and mercy. What he has done for us in Christ cannot be lost. It cannot be diminished. It is sure, and we are secure in it. Now, I say all that because I want us to understand We are saved on the basis of Jesus' work, not ours. But this spiritual law still takes effect, okay? The fact that you are forgiven of your sins does not nullify the consequences of sin, and we need to be really clear on that. This is written to Christians. If I say I can sow sinful things, but Jesus will forgive me, yes, he is gracious to forgive us when we turn to him in repentance, but he does not remove somehow the consequences for our choices as if we get to skate free. And that's why this verse is so important to us. Come back to verse 8 with me. The one who sows to the flesh, to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. Two terms that are important right here. Paul uses the term flesh. He's not talking here about the physical body. He uses flesh as a moral term. That flesh, for Paul, is the impulse to sin that remains within us even after we've become followers of Jesus. We've been saved by grace. We've been given the Spirit of God. But there's this residual impulse, right? There's something within us, this sinful desire that still threatens to poison our motives, okay? And that's what it is to sow to the flesh. When we sow to the flesh, when we sow in sin, we're making any thought, any choice, any word, any action that does not honor and glorify and seek God. It's sin, right? And when we sin, he says, we from our sin, we from our flesh, we reap corruption. That word corruption literally means to shrivel and spoil and decompose. Uh, If you want a, a good picture of corruption, go out today and buy a nice, ripe, delicious banana and put it on the countertop for about four weeks. And you, we all know what happens. It's going to start to develop some spots, no big deal, still edible. 
It turns a little brown. Now you can put it into a pudding. Not so bad, right? Ah, uh, but then it becomes, it becomes black. And the thing that, that once was very healthy and, and delicious and delightful perhaps to you becomes something poisonous, something you wouldn't put in your body if your life depended on it. And that's what corruption is here. See, what Paul means when he says you sow to the flesh and you reap corruption, he's not saying you're going to get caught because sometimes we sin and we don't get caught. I'm sure you can all testify to that. There, there are things we've done. You've cheated on a test. You've told a lie and you didn't get caught, right? But that doesn't mean that you avoided this principle because what Paul is telling us here is that the corruption is not just that our outward circumstances turn against us. It's that our heart becomes corrupt. It's that who we are in our heart, in our soul, in our character begins to change into something that is not reflective of God's character. Now, I can say this for a fact. I don't have to know all the details of your life to know that you and I, we are sitting here right now. We are reaping something today that we have sown to the flesh in the past. I know it for a fact because it's just generally universally true. Even if you're a very devoted Christian, we have made sinful choices in the past that we now are sitting in to some degree today. And it could be more subtle than, than we realize because remember, it's not always circumstantial. It could more be an internal issue. I'm going to give a couple of examples here just to help us apply this. And, and maybe none of these apply, but I'm sure at least one of them will hit you because they hit me. If you have sown seeds of bitterness and unforgiveness in a relationship, then you right now are reaping a broken relationship. Even if you're polite and cordial on the surface, if there is bitterness in your heart, then that relationship is not what it ought to be. There's brokenness, there's strain there, because the seed that has been sown has now reaped the harvest. If you have sown the seed of pornography, then what you have reaped as a result is a perverse heart that does not view people the way that God created them in his image. And we develop this perverse now view of, of God's intention for love and relationships because of the seed that's been sown into our brain and into our heart. If you have sown the seeds of constant entertainment, constant screen time, internet, television, cell phone, Netflix, whatever, I'm going to go ahead and guess that you are also now reaping a difficulty to just sit with God's word for any period of time, to desire to just sit in silence with God and pray and read his word without a need for some kind of distraction, without the need to be entertained, because the seed that we've sown always bears a harvest. If you have sown seeds of financial irresponsibility, you're probably reaping now an ungenerous heart because you've dug yourself into a hole with the decisions that you made, and now you can't live out fully what God's called you to live in terms of your finances. We, we reap what we sow. Children, children who have sown constant disobedience, disobedience, disobedience to their parents, you're probably reaping now parents who can't trust you, and therefore you don't have the freedom that you'd like to have because of the seed that's been sown. Now you're reaping that harvest. Now, again, we understand that God forgives us all of our sins in Jesus Christ. We celebrate that, okay? We need to remember that. We anchor ourselves in that truth. But we, we still have to live out the consequences of our choices. 
It's, it's an irrefutable reality here. Paul is making sure that we Christians understand this. This is not just a rule for bad people out there. This is for me, and this is for you. And now there's good news and bad news as we turn the corner on this. The bad news is, I mentioned this before, you cannot unsin. You cannot magically undo what's been done. And God doesn't do that for us. Now, we could all testify of times in our lives where we deserved a lot worse than what we got in terms of consequences. Praise God. That's grace. Okay? But God is not in the business of just wiping the slate clean and saying, I forgive you, and, oh, by the way, I'm going to let you skate free on this. Right? That's just not God's character. He, le- he allows us to feel the pain and the consequence of what we've done. That's the bad news. We can't undo it. But here's the good news. The good news is we can sow today what we will reap tomorrow. That's the good news. You can't change your past. I can't change my past. But we can sow today what will have a direct impact and effect on our future. And that's the second part of verse 8. This, this, I tend to look at this spiritual law as a bad thing, and it's not. It can be, but it's not. Because look at verse 8 in the second part. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The one who sows to the Spirit of God will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. We cannot change our past, but we have the privilege of an ever-present opportunity. Right where you sit, today, January 7, 2018, God has granted you life and a present opportunity now to sow to His Spirit. In fact, Paul, we're in Galatians 6. In Galatians 5.16, Paul says, If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the sinful impulses of the flesh. What that means is that the work of God's Spirit versus the flesh, it's not a 50-50 coin flip. It's not an equal and opposite uh, power at work. The Spirit is stronger than the flesh. My goodness, God is stronger than you and your sinful desires. The Spirit will overwhelm the flesh. The Spirit will defeat the flesh when we press into Him. Okay, it's not a, your, your day today is not a coin flip as to whether you're going to be a good or bad Christian. You have the ability right now to live in such a way that the desires of the flesh diminish in favor of the glory of God and His work in your heart. And so you will sow today what you will reap tomorrow. And what we sow to the Spirit, we reap, it says, eternal life. Now, that does not mean simply going to heaven when you die. Right? And if we would read this wrong, we would think, okay, okay, I'll do good Christian things and I'll earn my way into heaven. I'll reap eternal life. Paul is, not, Paul is giving us a present reality. Right? You have eternal life as a gift. You didn't contribute anything to that. But you reap, in a sense, you reap more and more and more of God's enrichment and God's grace and God's strength and God's character into your life. When you sow to the Spirit, you will reap in this time and space from God's Spirit more and more of God's blessing and his enrichment. That's the promise right here. Uh, you know, a lot of us have as our life verse, our hope verse, Romans 8:28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to God's purpose. It's such a wonderful, hopeful truth. But the, but the verse after that, that, that maybe we tend to forget, actually tells us what God's purpose is, right? We're called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? Well, Romans 8.29 says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Those whom God foreknew, he, he, 
he assured, he predestined, he fixed it, that you would become conformed to the image of Christ. See, when we sow to our sin, from out of our sin, our soul shrivels. Even if you never get caught, your heart becomes corrupt. But when you sow to God's Spirit, you actually reap from God Himself. From God Himself, you reap a life and a character that becomes more and more and more like your Savior. In the strangest way, you, we, we become more like Christ when we sow to the Spirit of God. And those, again, those blessings are not just reserved for one day. They're ours to enjoy now the more that we lovingly press in to him. And so what Paul is actually telling us here, what you sow and how you sow does not just affect your circumstances. I think it does, but that's not all. And really that's not of, of the utmost importance here. What you sow and how you sow actually either shrinks or grows your character, your heart. And it actually shrinks or grows your relationship with God in terms of your closeness and your devotion and your experience of his goodness. That's more at what, what's at stake here than simply having better circumstances. C.S. Lewis said this, Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. Every time we make a choice, we're turning ourselves into something a little bit different than we were before, either for good or for bad. And Paul says it can be for good. And so I want, to, I want us to close. We're going to look at a specific example from the Scripture here. Um, there are a lot of different ways we can sow to the Spirit, a lot, okay? And, and for the sake of trying to get more specific, uh, we're going to look at one from 2 Corinthians 9. And so that's only one book to your left. If you're in Galatians, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at a whole paragraph here. So if you've got your phone or your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians 9. In Galatians 6, where we've been reading, the, the specific context, which I mentioned kind of jokingly earlier, is financial. It's a generally true principle, but Paul is kind of speaking to the, to the degree of understanding that what we sow and reap uh, in terms of our generosity is very important. Well, here in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is going to use the very same language, the very same principle to speak directly to this issue at length, the issue of generosity toward God and toward God's purposes. Okay? And this is important to understand that when Paul is writing 2 Corinthians 9, he's writing to a church that has, in a sense, made a promise that, that Paul has been, has been boasting about their generosity because there's a church in need. He's going to come and take a collection for that church. And he's preparing the Corinthians. Make sure you're ready to give generously when the time comes. But look at the principle here that he unfolds. This is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Same language. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he, this is God, God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply 
your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. What is Paul saying right here? He is saying that when we give generously and cheerfully to God, and in this case, he specifically means giving to the mission of the church, we then reap God's blessing and God's enrichment. Now, there's something very prominent in our culture called the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel says if you will give to the church, or more specifically, if you'll give to the preacher, then you will receive from God health and wealth and happiness an immeasurably blessed life. That is a lie from hell. And I want us to be very clear on that. The prosperity gospel is a lie. Because in the end, you're not giving to God, you're giving to you. You're giving in the expectation that you're going to receive something back. And what we're actually doing in that case, we're sowing to our own flesh. Because the outcome that we're hoping for is something more for me, not something that glorifies God. And that is not what Paul is telling us in 2 Corinthians 9. When we sow to our flesh, we from the flesh reap corruption. And if I give in hopes that I'm going to get something back, then I'm doing it not for God, I'm doing it for myself. Okay, I'm doing it for my own benefit. What Paul actually says here is that when we give generously to God, when we give with a cheerful heart, which means a generous, humble, worshiping heart, we're acknowledging something. We're acknowledging that everything belongs to God in the first place. It doesn't belong to me. I have it on loan. I've been entrusted, perhaps, for a short period of time. Everything belongs to God. And even greater than that, everything that I have is a gift from Him. Now, I work for it, and I earn a paycheck, perhaps, right? But ultimately, it's all, everything I have, my intellect, the time and place in which I was born, everything that I am, I didn't earn. All that I have is a gift from God in the first place, and we're simply giving back to Him what we know He has given to us. And so the harvest we reap, verse 10, is a harvest of righteousness, not a harvest of wealth. A harvest of righteousness. We become more like Christ. And the blessing, look at verse 11, the blessing is, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality. That means the more generous you are toward God the more generous he will make you. Did you hear that? The more generous you are toward God, not the, not the wealthier he'll make you, the more generous he'll make you. He'll give you a heart that goes deeper for the heart of God. He'll, he'll make you more like Christ. Nobody's more generous than God. Nobody's a, a, a more cheerful giver than God, right? He gave his only son to us. And when we sow to the Spirit in generosity, we become more generous, and God, it says, will open up more doors for generosity. He makes you more like him. And so now, sticking with this illustration, okay, most of us have not been raised with that view of money. Most of us have been raised, even with good intentions, we were raised with a perverted view of money. We have not been raised to think that everything belongs to God and everything we have is a gift from God. Instead, see, we have, I say we, most people, I think, even most Christians, have come to view money as our security. Money is our hope. That's why we, we tend to get really tight-fisted with it. That's why we tend to worry so much about it and have a fear of losing it. We hold on to what we have, either for fear that it's going to be lost or for greed and wanting, and wanting more. And we don't typically have this attitude that the Scripture calls us to have when it comes to a generous 
part, and therefore we don't give cheerfully. If we give it all, we give because we know it will come back in terms of a tax return. If we give, we know that maybe, you know, uh, maybe God will bless me on the back end. You know, or we give for some other uh, ultimately sinful, fleshly reason, and we just call it being smart or being frugal or being wise with our money. Now, I'm not, listen, first of all, I'm not making accusations. I just know what's generally true. I know what's true of my own heart. I probably worry about money more than I worry about any other thing in the world. I'm not, you know, I don't typically worry about North Korea firing a missile, but I worry about what's in my bank account, okay? That's just, that's just, that preoccupies my heart because I have an, an imbalance in my heart about this principle. And I want you to understand also, I'm not asking for your money. And our goal is not to meet a certain budget at Harvest Church. And I'll say this, and I mean this, and I will always stick to this. Even if we were a million dollars ahead on our church budget, we would still preach this principle with just as much passion. Because this is not about meeting a budget. This is not about a dollar amount. This is about God's heart for God's people. This is what God says it means to sow to the Spirit when it comes to our finances. And because I know my own heart and I suspect what's true for at least 25 to 50% of us, I believe that if we would, your entire life would change. Your entire life would change. Where your joy is, your contentment, your priorities, your ambitions, if you simply made this one single change that I'm going to sow to the Spirit. My family is going to sow to God's Spirit when it comes to our finances in 2018. Even if the dollar amount is relatively small because the bank account is small, that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Jesus commended the woman who gave two pennies as opposed to all who gave out of their wealth. Right? The dollar amount was, was absolutely irrelevant to him. It was the principle. The woman cheerfully gave with a generous heart out of devotion to God. And your life would change because you know in your own heart that money has a hold on you that it ought not to have. And it really belongs to God. If you would just apply where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. If you would apply the word of Christ and say, God, release my fingers from this stuff and make me generous, he'll do it. See, when we sow... and. I, let me get, get away from money. Apply that to anything in your life. Anything in your life, when you sow to the Spirit, you from the Spirit reap God's grace and blessing, His enrichment, and a deeper and more Christ-like heart for more sowing to the Spirit. See, that's what He gives us. He may not make you rich. He probably won't. He may not give, your, give you outward circumstances that accord with what gives you pleasure and comfort and security. He probably won't. I don't think that's his heart for you. But he'll make you more like Jesus. And why would we want any lesser gift, any lesser blessing than that? When we sow to God's Spirit, we become more like God. When we sow anything to God's Spirit, we, in some sense, get more of God. Not that he's holding out on you, okay? You have all of God's grace in Jesus Christ. But the enrichment of God, the presence of God, the strength of God, the love of God becomes more and more and more ingrained in your heart the more you sow to his spirit. So here's the truth. Here's what we come back to. All of us are sowing today what we will reap tomorrow, bad or good. All of us. It's an irrefutable and irreversible law. You are sowing today what you will reap tomorrow. And so the question is, what am I sowing? And how am I sowing it? Am I sowing to the flesh, and from the flesh will I reap spoiled fruit, a corrupt heart, 
a, a further and further distance away from God? Or am I going to sow to his spirit that in joyful obedience to him, I'll find that he makes me more like Jesus? Can we pray that God would turn our hearts to the latter? Can we pray that God would make our hearts to be so committed to this principle that we would look back on 2018, a year from now, we'd look back and say, my gracious, I have no explanation for what God did for me, except that he honored what he said he would do when I pressed into him. Father, we ask right now that you would, I ask that you turn my heart, my, my, my sinful desires, my flesh is so much stronger than I want it to be. The things that preoccupy my time, the seeds that I have been sowing, Lord, I've got a lot to be ashamed of, and I'm, and I'm reaping a harvest in many ways now that I don't want. And it is for, I know a lot of us in this room, there's a harvest right now of regret. There's a harvest right now of spiritual indifference. We have not spent time with you. We have not enjoyed uh, long times in your word and in prayer. And so we have sown a, a desire to be entertained that's greater than a desire to be with you. We are struggling right now in ways that we really don't have to struggle. But these are the seeds we've sown and this is the harvest that we're reaping. And Father, would you show us right now that on one hand, Lord, you forgive us in Christ, that you have not forsaken us, that consequences for sin do not mean that you've forsaken us or that you don't love us. But these consequences, Lord, are, this is the pain that you allow us to feel in the hope that it will bring us to repentance, in the hope that it will bring us to you. And Lord, let it be strong enough for us that we would look at it and just on face value, why on earth would I continue to sow to my own flesh when I know what it, what it results in? When I know that it dishonors my Father, when I know that it, that it makes me less like Christ, when I've called to be more like Christ. And Lord, when you impress that upon our minds and hearts, Father, give us the grace to change. Give us the grace to see that we have Right this very moment, we have an opportunity, we have the ability to sow to your spirit, to set our minds and our hearts on heavenly, eternal things and not the things that are of earth. And Lord, we need you for this. We will not produce this or manufacture this within ourselves on our own. We need your spirit, Father, to overwhelm every other impulse and desire in our hearts. Father, we, we, this is not about earning you have already given us everything we need for life and godliness. There's nothing to earn. But Lord, this is all about walking day by day by your spirit for your glory. And Father, I pray for me and I pray for us now that 2018 would look entirely different. Not because we just improved a little bit every day, but because we made continual deposits. We continued to sow the seed of joyful obedience to you and we have received from you all that you have to give us by your mercy and love. Father, turn our hearts to you because only you can do that. Father, don't just, don't just let us resolve to have better habits. Father, give us a resolve that we might make it our ambition to please you in everything and draw near to you right now. 
Father, we ask this, uh, this grace in Jesus' name.